Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. To your partner in Success Radio, I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and this podcast is ranked in the top 2% of the most popular podcasts globally. And it's really all because of my truly incredible guests. It's not me, it's them. I feel really fortunate to spend time with people who are at the top of their game and who are passionate about helping you achieve your goals in both your personal and professional lives. And my guests hold nothing back. They're here to share the secrets of peak performance with us, and I know you'll find their insights both inspiring and actionable. So take notes, sit back, relax, and get ready to take your life and business to the next level. Today, I welcome to the show Cliff Beach. He's a musician, a podcaster, and master of the side hustle Stranger Connections. I love that. Cliff finished high school at age 16. And he is a master of time management and motivation. And as I mentioned, he's also the king of the side hustle, or as I call it, the gig economy, explaining the benefits of fulfillment outside of whatever your regular career is. And he has been nominated for three L.A. Music Awards, Record of the Year, and a Hollywood Music in Media Award, and his group has been a house band on the has. I can do this. A house band on the Discovery Channel. He's also been featured in a live review in Music Connection magazine, and has performed at the TEDx Napa Valley. And this is fun. He also won a John Lennon songwriting contest two World Songwriting Awards, four Global Music Awards, a California Music Video Film Award, and was nominated for several L.A. Music Awards. I'm out of breath now. (laughs) Cliff joins us today to share his thoughts on side hustle, gig economy, flow, smart goals, passion, purpose, and the all-important time management. Cliff, good morning. Thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Good morning, Denise. I'm very excited to talk with you. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. When we had our pre-interview, I was scribbling notes like crazy, like, gee whiz. (laughs) And there was a a lot of exclamation points. You know, when you want to kind of go back and read your notes and go pay attention to that, there was a lot of explanations on there. So before we get rocking and rolling here, can you tell us a little bit about you and your background that I might have missed there? I think you did a very thorough job of explaining my background, but I'm originally from Washington, D.C., Maryland area. Um, I went to school at Berkeley College of Music in Boston, later got my master's at Pepperdine University in Malibu. Uh, I've been a resident of California now for over 20 years doing music and uh, working full-time in the corporate world. Uh, And so, yeah, it's very exciting to be able to come onto the podcast and talk about the book, Side Hustle and Flow, that's out now on Amazon, Audible, Kindle, uh, from Black Spring Press Group, uh, the publisher. And uh, yeah, I discovered through life, essentially writing everything down about my life, that I had stumbled upon this gig economy or or side hustling or what I like to call is the Hollywood shuffle, but you can shuffle in in any city. There you go. I'm writing that down. Okay, keep going. Uh, But it was uh, interesting because 
um, at the time, as a musician, people would say, well, if you're not doing music full time, then you're not, you know, really as dedicated, which I don't believe is true. I think we're at a point where people will have to, you know, try multiple things. And by having a full-time job, it allows you the autonomy uh, to be able to fund with fund money uh, that you save, you know, these, these projects that may or may not make money. I also talk about side hustling in a different way where it isn't necessarily always about making money. Sometimes it's just about creating space or creating time for, for self-care or for spending more time with your family. The whole um, important thing about it is that you get to to invest your time instead of spend your time. That's the main thing that we're trying to figure out. How can you do both and create um, a situation where you don't have to be just one thing. Everyone kind of creates somehow in their mind this theory of all or nothing approaches. And I think those are very hard to to fulfill, whether it's dieting or anything else. If if you 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 know you fall off or you don't do as much that day, it's okay to get back and do it the next day, or it's a good it's good to be able to do it a little bit of time versus no time. So I think it's just the way you think about it. The mindset is very important. It is. And the more you narrow your mindset, the more you narrow how you view things the more you really cut off your creativity. And listen, I didn't know for the longest kind of time that I was actually a creative. I had no idea. I thought I was a left brain nerd. You know, I just rational thinking. I just never considered that I might have some creative bones in my body, but it was always there. I just didn't recognize that people would come into my home and say, who decorated your house? Well, I did. Where'd you get that? Uh, I pulled it out of a trash trash can and mm. redid it. My house honestly is, you know, early matrimony and, you know, sometimes from the, the thrift store. Some of it's really good stuff. Some of it's antique, but it all works. And, and And I never paid attention to that. And I was a jeweler for a long time. And I can tell you right now, if a diamond's got yellow in it, and I can tell it from three feet away, still didn't realize that I had that magic until I started my podcast. It's like, huh, all of a sudden I'm around. Well, let me back that up a little bit. When I I went to school and got a computer science degree, I'm a web developer. And that's when my creativity just went through the roof. And then not too long after that, I started this podcast. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, how did I not know this about myself? And I'll bet you people who are listening to us right now are going, huh, how did I not know that about myself? Definitely. I mean, that's part of the self-discovery process. I think we just get so busy that we don't ask ourselves questions to figure out, you know, what our, our passions and our purposes are. And and I've talked to a lot of people that, that say, oh, I'm not very creative. And actually what we found uh, statistically, if you look at the, the TED Talk from Sir Ken Robinson talking about education reform, uh, is that... Um, it's our education system, really, that beats out creativity from us. So if you ask a kindergarten class who's creative, everyone raises their hand. Because at that time, everyone is excited about being creative. What happens is that by the time you get to 12th grade and you ask the same question, very few people raise their hands because people have been forced into a system that puts you into a box where you have to color inside the lines 
and everybody is so afraid of sticking out or being weird or being abnormal um, that that's why people think they're not creative. You're all taught the same thing and have to answer the same. Look, I didn't do well in school. I did not. I hated it. To me, it felt so restrictive. And I bet it did for you as well. Uh, it it did. You know, I, I did well in school in terms of uh, learning and being able to, to fill out books. But uh, my behavior scores were always uh, abysmal. And my mom would get called all the time. And so if you look just at my early report cards, you would think, wow, this is like a really problem child. But I wasn't. I just was very fiercely independent and I didn't listen. Not because I didn't respect my teachers, but because I wanted to do my own thing. And school wasn't built for that. And and I was accelerating too fast for the classroom that they had to scramble to really give me enough to do. It's more busy work, essentially. But we now know that people learn in multiple styles. Like some people learn from reading. Some people don't. Some people learn visually and audio only. And then some people learn kinetically. They have to actually physically do something. Like I see someone fixing a car and now I can do that because I've seen it and I've done it. So I think school is more about creating, uh, you know, like Dilbert's essentially like they just want, you know, worker bees, but right. that's, that's not always a great model. No, it's not. And it wasn't for me. And I knew it early on. I just didn't know what to do about it. So I basically just ignored everybody and kept my nose in a book. I read everything. I mean, I've been reading, you talk about kindergarten when I was, I started reading when I was three, I taught myself because there were books everywhere and I would just pick them up and, you know, start, reading fanatically, if you will. And when I was in kindergarten, I'll never forget my teacher calling my mom into the classroom and saying, Denise says she can read. Now, I know she's lying. Why does she say she can read? And my mom was five foot nothing, much and a half, but she could jump like a flea. I was the shortest one in the family at five, seven and a half. I don't know how she managed it. We went from five, seven and a half to six foot two. But she stood up real straight and she looked at this Amazon of a woman who was a very good teacher, but she was just not going to believe what a five-year-old had to say about reading. And my mom looked at her and said, well, she can read. And that flummoxed the teacher. And this is one of my few remembrances of school because I really didn't enjoy it. But I remember the teacher just looking at my mom and saying, well, how can she read? And my mom looked at her and said, because we didn't tell her she couldn't. And that has been in the back of my brain forever. Yeah, no, it's definitely like that. We, I I was the same way. And I remember when I uh, switched from my mom reading to me at night to me reading to her at night. Um, But yeah, that's true. I had a lot of teachers like that as well, that they were like, well, why, why do you, why does he know like his, his times tables and why can't he do math and know how to read and know such, you know, collegiate words so young. And, uh, and it is true. It's, it's, it's often when you don't put those limitations, you know, when you like, it's okay to, to color how you feel, you don't have to necessarily color inside the lines, do, do what you want. Then, uh, you know, people can gravitate towards their natural gifts and, and really build their strengths because a lot of times, School will say, okay, well, you're really weak or or deficit in this area. Work on that. But then ultimately, you just end up with like average 
weaknesses. You know, like you've built up strong weaknesses, but is that really like the best use of your time? Like if that's not your natural gift, you know, just work on your strengths, the things you get excel at and have passion for and, and purpose for, because you're not going to be able to do everything. You know, if accounting is not your thing, you know, pass it on. It's like that level of math may not be advantageous to you if you're working more in English and writing and reading and things like that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to learn, but there is a certain point where it's like, we really need to figure out the aptitude of like what people gravitate towards and then, you know, let them learn. And really bringing back, I think, apprenticeships. I think there needs to be more of oh, yeah. learning what to do I before agree. you're doing it. And, you know, this brings us back to the gay economy, side hustle, Hollywood hustle, which I love. There comes a point I mostly, I think after we're adults and we've said, okay, did that, tried that. Oh Lord have mercy. That didn't work. Then we, we finally just give free reign to who we are and what we bring to the table, you know, talking about passion and purpose. And that's, I think when the magic, excuse me, when the magic really starts showing up. No. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think it is a sweet spot, you know, so we, we praise the young in many ways all the time, but I think it's really, you know, around the middle ages, you know, at 30 plus, 40 plus, I think that's when you really start to hit this try, even 50 plus, I think where you, you start to really be able to, to take all of these things that you've learned and, and, and turn them into some very interesting things and expand your universe. Again, when we talk about mindset, you know, when you have a, a limitless mindset or a growth mindset, um, you know, science has now learned that your your brain is still uh, adapting and changing and learning and, and, and being able to to take on new tasks and new complexity much later in life than people had originally anticipated. So there's different types of intelligence and they change over time. So sometimes being more experienced and older can be um, can be a blessing in disguise. In the same way, I tell people all the time, if you want to get advice or information, like if you're a young person getting married, I don't want to go to a marriage counselor who's spouting off theory. They're not married and they haven't been married 30, 40, 50 years. It's not advantageous to me to listen to someone to, to tell me what they think it should be. I want to talk to someone who actually lived it. And that's what my book is about, showing you the last 20 years of actually living it. But I never tell people to do exactly what I did. Because I think that's impossible. You can't put lightning in a bottle or, or rehash the past. Everything is constantly changing. New apps are developing. Different industries are coming up. So I don't think you can do the same thing. But I think there are success clues in there and habits that you can develop. And those things haven't changed, like being able to, to time manage. I think when people talk about time management, though, they think about managing time. Well, in theory, we know that you can't actually do that. I mean, time is a constant. It's, it doesn't change. You know, <laughs> we have the same 24 hours no matter what. But again, it's how you invest them versus how you spend them. So if you're thinking about investments, you're thinking about return on investment. And really now I tell people return on effort. You know, would I, would I do this again if I had to do it all over again? Is this worth my time? That's something that you have to ask yourself. And only you can answer that. I had a teacher, a professor that I worked for doing research and I learned how to ask questions and I had mistakenly I told her that she taught me how to ask the right questions and she corrected me and she said there is no way to ask the right questions you just have to ask questions and then later decide if they were right 
and that's a different thing, but it's true. I think people just don't take the time to be quiet, to meditate, to ask self-reflection questions, which every chapter in Sci House and Flow has those at the end of the uh, the chapter because some people just never ask the question, what am I what am I good at? Like there I, I talk about ikigai in the book and it's a term in Japanese that basically means reason for living and they have these four, you know, questions, what am I good at? You know, what am I, what am I here for? What, what, what can the society benefit from me? And, you know, what do I love to do? What do I enjoy to do? That kind of thing. And it's important. You know, they have people who have, you know, more people than anyone else who have lived over a hundred. And they say the secret is that, you know, they found something that they enjoy to do. If they enjoy sailing and being by the water, then they move by the water and they know that about themselves. But sometimes, you know, we're forced into these buckets where it's like you you end up now in hospice interviewing people dying and their huge regret in life is that they lived the life that someone else wanted. I became a doctor because mom wanted that. I didn't want to do this. You know, like, so it's like that. We don't, we don't need more people to do that. And we definitely don't need more people that are going into the grave with all their great ideas. We were created to dream and to get stuff out there. And, and if we don't, if we don't ever work in our passion or our purpose or something that's fulfilling to us, to solve our own problems, to eventually solve the world's problems, then we've done ourselves and the world a disservice. And sometimes you're the only person that can do that. So if you don't, we'll never get that book, that song, that podcast. You you are the the miracle that you've been waiting for, and we need you. That was beautiful. And I'm almost speechless, which really doesn't happen very often. But you just... You said that so beautifully, and there was nothing there that I could argue about or even ask a question about. It was just perfect. But you're right. We have to, you said something a bit ago about self-reflection. I think that's something that people don't probably do enough because sometimes it's painful. Sometimes you're like, oh, I've got that icky memory. I don't like it. I'm going to flinch away from it. Flinch away from it. Examine it. And then put it away, put it up in the attic. You don't need to go with it anymore. But I think if people would sit with themselves more than they do, turn off that stinking television, turn it off. I hate TV. I've always hated it, even as a kid. But yeah, just there are so many wonderful things that you can be doing right now. Just walk the dog, but don't sit on the couch sinking into the cushion and letting some garbage entertain you think find your passion find your purpose i don't know what else else to say it's just i'm pretty passionate about not wasting your tv time watching tv do something different with it it's my point no definitely i mean i think now in america people are watching maybe a third of their life television oh is it that much it's a lot. I mean, people, I mean, people are, I average at least five, you know, to 10 hours a, a week. And that's at the low end. You know, some people are doing, you know, 20 plus hours, especially now with binging. People can literally watch series after series and continue and continue. And, and now the thing is that we create all these things and they're amazing uh, technology wise, but then we have no idea about like psychological ramifications. So like blue light, it, it helps people not be able to to sleep as well or hurts their eyes after a certain time for being in front of screens all the time. Um, and you can tell, you can tell the difference of, you know, how people write, how people spell, 
you know, based on what they're doing, that people are reading less and writing less and, and, and watching more, um, you know, because people basically write like they speak. Um, and, and, and even when I was writing the book, like I learned so much about English grammar and syntax that I had forgotten many years ago. Um, but I think, I, I think you you hit a nail on the head when you talk about pain and pain and avoidance or fear or any of those things can derail you and, and, and keep you from, from doing that. So uh, right now I've been reading a book by Rick, Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And it was a great book that, that changed my life a lot. He's a pastor, uh, isn't he? Isn't he the pastor of a mega church? He uh, was the pastor of a mega church. Uh, okay. a mega church. Yes, he, he retired now. Um, but he, he wrote a book called Created to Dream. And so he's basically explaining now how people... We're, we're created to dream, and I do believe that. And then from there, though, I love how he talks about all these phases and all these other D words. And the D words that first come up are, are difficulties and, and dead ends and, and disappointments. Because that's the thing. I think people think about dreams or think about creativity or think about purpose, and they have, like, this kind of Shangri-La field of dreams. Like, if I dream it, it'll just happen and manifest. That, that isn't actually, I mean, that's part of it. But like that's not the end of it. So there's like you know anything worth having is going to be difficult. So I, I do want to to uh, to let people know that it, it will be hard work, <laughs> as you know. If you're building a podcast, <laughs> building an audience, it doesn't just it doesn't it just doesn't all come together. No, it's not magic. And people say, Denise, you've been doing this for so long. Well, why did you do it? Like my mom said, nobody told me I couldn't. I just did it. And I started 15 years ago, which, I mean, honestly, this is a bit of an exaggeration, but there was maybe me and 10 other podcasters out there. We were rare on the ground. We really were. Now there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and I think that's wonderful. But so many of them are going to fail. And you know why? Consistency. They're not consistent. They're not showing up. They're really not many of them that I've watched and kind of learned from, they're not using that podcast for what they're passionate about. They're just maybe trying to copy somebody else. That doesn't work, y'all. Don't do it. Be you. Show up. Be you. I love that. Yeah, I live by that all the time. I used to have a, a, a Snoopy card, uh, Charles <laughs> Schultz. And my mom would always, I love Snoopy. And so she would always give me birthday cards, Christmas cards of Snoopy. And, and one of them she gave me one year said, be you. No one can tell you that you did you wrong. And so I live by that all the time. And it's true. He was a very smart man. He really, I lo- I'm like you, I love anything peanuts. But you know, the thing is, don't try to copy other people. If you're going to have the Hollywood hustle, the side flow, the side gig, podcasting is a side gig for me, but I don't monetize it. I don't make any money doing this. I do it because I get to meet people like you from all over the world. I'm a, I'm an introvert. I'm a highly committed introvert, truly. I'm not shy. I don't have any filters. And I do like people, but I can't be around people for more than about oh, 59 and three quarter minutes. They wear me out. Unless the conversation is just brilliant, I get worn out very quickly. And I have to go home and breathe and, and regroup. But I know this about myself. So podcasting is kind of my home. This is where I, I find mentors and fascinating people and other people get to meet you as I meet you. What's wrong with that? 
No, I think that's beautiful. And I've met a lot of podcasters that that do that. And and, and I think a lot of podcasters are uh, on the nerd side with a little bit of free spirit mixed in as well. But I do enjoy that. I mean, listening to people, learning from people, whether you're doing that in like a formal mentorship through score.org or someone that you know or apprenticeship or reading books and, and, and learning from podcasts and listening to audio programs and things like that. I think there are many ways to do it. But the beauty of it is that um, when I was writing the book in the last chapter, I interviewed a few luminaries about what they do. And, and one of them, John Hope Bryant, who runs Operation Hope, a financial literacy program for at-risk youth and beyond um, in certain communities, he basically told me that your life may be the Bible that people read, you know, the most. And so people are watching you. People are learning from you. And I, and I love learning from, from people. Like I said, not just with the, the marriage counselor who had been married 30 years giving me advice, you know. So many people can give uh, advice and you can learn from. That's why I like things like score.org. You have all these retired people who want to still be useful and, and mentor the next generation in those fields. So who better to talk about owning your own insurance company than a person who did it for 30 years? Or if you want to start a podcast, talking to someone who's had podcasts, you know, like, like yourself over 15 years when it was the wild, wild west and everything that has changed, like those things are important. I'm mentoring a cousin right now who's in music and also doing PR work. And we had a call yesterday and she was a little discouraged because she hadn't been working on music as much. And everyone was telling her, well, you have to, you know, you have to have this amount of money to do this amount of stuff. I was like, but this doesn't make any sense. I was like, how did everybody else who had nothing figure it out? You know, there's ways that you can, you can barter and there are ways that you can, um, you know, make uh, strategic alliances with people who are coming up and, and, you know, you can trade. And, and so she, she felt very, uh, confident about that but the only reason why I could give that advice is because I've, I've lived it and I've seen it in the last 20 years and I know that you really do have to hide the, the naysayers like you were saying to your mom they, they never told you that you couldn't do it it's very important because a lot of parents that don't do that but also you see that historically when you look at someone like Roger Bannister who was able to run under a four-minute mile in the 1950s and when people thought that that was humanly impossible because he would have a heart attack and, and die from the exhaustion. Uh, he ended up running 359. And people are like, well, how did, how did that happen? It's like, because he never thought that he couldn't do it. He was like, I'm just going to do my best and keep tracking my time and, and do that. And I interviewed another person in the book, um, the, Dr. Ivan Joseph, who did a TED Talk on confidence. And he ran a huge program at Ryerson University in Canada, uh, track and field. And basically, he learned how to move goalposts with his track and field people so that, okay, if I want everyone to run a mile in under five minutes, so he would set the time and everyone had to run under five minutes and 99% of people would do 4.59. So then he was like, well, I'm going to move up, you know, past that to 4.30 and then eventually four minutes. Now everyone's running under a four minute mile pretty much, but it, nothing changed except that moving the goalposts Maybe people will be like, okay, now that's the, the new standard, you know? So I think most people are trained to do the average, you know, they're, the and, and to hold back. Yep. Just what they have to and nothing more. Yeah. We have a lot of people, especially in the corporate world, that are coasting. Like they know they can do enough work not to get fired, but I think that's a terrible model. I think everyone, you know, in, in one of the books, chapters, I talk about you, Inc. I think you should ask yourself, would I fire me? 
if you would, you need to fix something. It's not about, you know, shaming or digging on yourself. It's that there's self-improvement that should be happening all the time, just like lifelong learning should be happening all the time. And you should be trying to become better. Because if you don't, you will end up being replaced by technology, AI or something else. They, you know, you, you will lose usefulness and, and becoming that linchpin in your organization if you're trying to stay the same because everything else is rapidly changing around you. Well, I fired myself the other day. I really, <laughs> and it was unpleasant, let me tell you, but it had to happen. There's a certain part of my, my digital agency that I've been doing work that I no longer enjoy. I just don't like it. I don't like it none. I used to love it, but you know, time changes and things change. And after a while you're like, mm, I either need to upskill myself or send this over to somebody else. And I fired myself. It's like, you know, I don't like it. It makes my stomach hurt. I'm done. And I took it off of my website. The minute, I promise you, the minute, I mean, it wasn't 10 minutes later, somebody said, Denise, can I hire you? No, not for that. You can't. And I wasn't going to budge from it because I really hate doing that work. Right. And that's the thing. You have to be quiet and listen to yourself. And know that, you know, when I was reading this uh, book, I think it's Mind Over Medicine by Lisa Rankin. She was a doctor. She was so sick for so many years from stress, working at this hospital. And then one day she realized, I need to quit. (laughs) I don't want to do this. And she basically has this philosophy that says you can write the prescription for your own life. You don't need a doctor to tell you that. You don't need a psychiatrist or psychologist to tell you that. You knew that. I don't like doing this and I'm not going to do this anymore. And you have that power. And I think that's very self-empowering to be able to do that. But if people don't listen to themselves, that little voice inside you is very quiet and you can't hear it with the noise and the chaos that's around you normally in life. You got to go to your quiet place ask those questions and then from that make decisions and pivot and maybe you loved it 10 years and now you don't and that's okay we changed i did did, but then and i fired my client at the same time i fired both of us like we are done (laughs) we are done here and i knew this is a sad thing i should have paid attention i knew taking this on and i hadn't done it in two years because i really didn't enjoy it but you know, there there are reasons why I took this client. And within three weeks, I was saying, oh, my God, what have I done? My stomach hurt all the time. Guess what? My stomach doesn't hurt anymore. Yeah. And that's the thing you're listening to as well. Like, we're so good at ignoring things about our, our bodies, but it's telling you. It's like, if your stomach hurts, it's in knots every time you think about it. Like that's something to reflect on and say, why is that? Is this something that's no longer serving me or a, a zero sum? Would I do this again? Like people exactly. say that winners never quit, but they quit all the time if they're smart. Because sometimes you're climbing a ladder and it's against the wrong wall and that's not good. Well, when you have to break out the Tums bottle, start paying attention to what's going on around you. I put the bottle back in the fridge. I don't think I need it anymore. Listen, Cliff, you are, you're a fascinating guy. So what is it that you think sets you apart from others in whatever field that you want to talk about? Because you've got multiple fields. What sets you apart from others? I mean, curiosity, definitely one of them. Purpose, definitely one of them. But what else? 
Well, I like what you said about consistency. I talk about Angela Duckworth and she talks about True Grit and her TED Talk and books and research. And and even, you know, she was a um, a colleague and uh, studied under Marty Seligman, who taught us about learning optimism. So, I mean, there's many things that I could talk about, but I think when you when you think about consistency and really perseverance, I think people have this misconception that the perseverance is just like this person has like the strongest will, but it's really more about the consistency. Like writing the book was a very daunting task for me. And I wouldn't say I loved it. I liked it, but I didn't love it. But I think every day during the pandemic, I just had to day in and day out, write for an hour or two, get a chapter done. However it was a few pages at a time. And the only reason why I was able to actually do that, because I had actually started trying to write a book at least four times in the past. And this time I just said, no matter what, every day, I'm going to do this hour. Now, was I happy to do that every day? No. Did I want to do it every day? No. And I think that's what perseverance is. Perseverance is doing it past the point where the feeling of the honeymoon was happy, because that's not going to be every day. It's just like with music. Every time you sit down to write a song or whatever it is, does that mean you enjoy it to the same level every time? Probably not. Are there sometimes I have to do a gig and I don't feel where I don't want to do it? Yes. You know? And so it's the consistency. It's that we said we were going to do something. We're going to deliver on it. And it's the showing up, showing up for yourself and then showing up for the task that you, that you made and, and then understanding how to, you know, create goals and, and prioritize those tasks I think are important. You know, less than 10% of people plan in advance, plan their day, plan their week, schedule, look at their schedule ahead of time. It's, it's, it's a rarity. There's not, people are not taught to do that. And so people don't have goals and people don't really have clear defined goals. Like we know we have models of smart goals, but not everybody knows that. But all the time, like people will say, I need to lose, I need to lose weight. First of all, if you say that like verbiage wise, you won't because you have to, you must lose weight. That's the only way that you can talk to yourself where you'll actually do it. If you say someday I'll do this, it never happens. Someday I'll, it's an island you have to, divorce and get off you have to say today is the day so i think starting earlier starting faster changes you and then knowing that there's going to be some difficulties and dead ends and disappointments and you have to plow through that that's the journey the other side is great you know people always tell me uh it's tough to climb the rough side of the mountain and i'll always say back to them like at least with the rough side of the mountain there's something to hold on to at that point so i think yeah what changes me is that i have not a fearlessness because people think, oh, well, you're just not afraid. No, no, no. I'm afraid all the time. I feel the fear. I do it anyway. I do it scared. I say yes to things and I have completely no way of knowing how I'm going to do it. But that's, that's where faith, you know, kicks in then and, and, and building a team. If you really have dreams that are big and hairy and scary, you're going to need someone else to help you. And I'm great at being able to do teamwork and saying, look at what we did, even if it's under my name, it's always a team underneath that. And I think it's important for people to know that we're built to, to need someone, even the introverts. Like when people say marketing-wise, they're uh, self-made. I think that's a BS term. It doesn't exist. Like how can you literally in life be self-made? I mean, who, who birthed you? Who raised you? Who taught you? Who bought your product? Who were your clients? You know what I mean? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. So I think you 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 need people for sure in some capacity to be able to make that work. No one's an island. 
but it's definitely how you talk to yourself, how you think is what you become. And then from there, showing up for yourself, showing up for the tasks. And again, perseverance, true grit. I'm not talking about like in the fair weather. I'm talking about in the rough storms, having the perseverance to keep going. Then the other side breaks through, but that breaking through can be painful. And I think you can't hide from those pains. Like someone who's been through a painful situation, like someone who's lived through cancer, who else better to talk about it than someone who's lived it? So I think, you know, your mess can be a message for sure, if you choose to make it that way. Exactly. And, you know, you're talking about perseverance, and I've written it down several times because this one thing keeps popping into my head. And it was a conversation that I had with somebody the other day, and somebody was actually nagging at them to do something, to, you know, do this, da, 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 da. and it was getting ugly. And he said, you know, I have to admire his perseverance. And I'm thinking, no, you don't. That's not perseverance. <laughs> That's nagging. You need to cut that person loose and probably permanently. So there's perseverance and then there's perseverance. So choose your, choose your side there. Uh, yeah, no, there's definitely some stick to itiveness, but that's a very important thing is that you have to be very careful who you share your goals with. Um, cause you know, not everybody will have your, uh, your best interest at heart. Some people who love you the best will be the worst to tell their your, your goals to because it's not they don't one understand. Is, they don't yeah. understand. Yeah, not everybody will see your vision, and they want to protect you. And some of that protections can be harmful in terms of getting stuff out there because any growth in life happens outside of your comfort zone. So it will be uncomfortable at some point, and you just have to be prepared for that. You know, we're talking about you know, leaders and entrepreneurship. Listen, as you're an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur, but what people don't really think about, excuse me, is that we have cast iron stomachs. We have to. We fail every day. They may be little failures where you're like, oh, really? And you smack yourself on, you know, the top of your head and then keep on going. Or they're big failures where you're sitting down and going, Denise, you are fired. I fired you yesterday. We're not doing this again. But we have to, we do persevere and we don't stop and we do understand our purpose and time management. Oh, let's go back to that. Oh my gosh. Listen, you're, you're talking about having a time management. I don't even, how did you say it? you know, setting, setting up your day, having a journal, maybe, I don't know, but one of Um, my, my um, very dear friends is Ben Gay the third, and he's known as a sales legend, living sales legend, excuse me, hang on a second, I need to call. And he was mentored. He's the last mentee of Dr. Napoleon Hill. Mm. Yeah. He's a, he's really one of my top favorite people in the world. And Napoleon Hill would tell him, Ben, write that down, write that, that you're not going to remember it, write that down. And Napoleon Hill was working with Ben for two and a half years before he passed away as his mentor. And Ben has an entire system. He uses um, a daily, where's mine? I'll have to open it up and tell you what it is. It's a daily, because I started doing exactly what he told me to do. And my day completely weekly planner and at a glance weekly planner. And he talks about how he did it with Napoleon Hill and how he does it now. And nothing gets lost. Everything that goes in that planner is important. 
it's not for fluff. I mean, he plans his day and he will plan his, his day. If this needs to be moved up or if this is daily, it's all in there. All he has to do is walk to his desk, open that planner and he knows exactly where he needs to be and what he's supposed to be doing that day. It works. Have a planner. No, yeah, it definitely, it works to write it down. We know now kinetically, physically writing it down, not just digitally, right. but actually pen to paper with goals or anything else. It helps you to be able to remember because it's a second process for your brain to remember what you're doing and then do it. So the, the physically doing it helps it to remember. It's like a muscle memory with a mental memory combined. At the same time, when we talk about time management, I think the main thing is that As I was saying before, we all have the same 24 hours. And so really, you can't manage time. Time is, you know, constantly pushing forward no matter what. What you actually end up doing is managing yourself. That's the important key. The schedule and the goals help you to manage what you decide to do and that you're adding purpose and intent behind each step that you're doing and deciding, is this a a priority task for me? Is this a nice to have, have to have, that kind of thing. And so the written goals then from there allow you to do that. 10 years ago, I had set on a path of creating 10 albums in 10 years from 2013 to 2022. I did that. And at the time of year one, I had no idea how to do one album, let alone 10. And many pivots happened in the middle of that. But the main thing is that by setting the intention that I would do it, it then set me on a course and a path that expanded even beyond what I could have imagined or fathomed or thought. But it opened up this thing where I was like, let's do that. And every time we did an album, the next one was different. And we learned something and we put it into the next album. We didn't put it into the previous album because we'd never be able to stick a fork and be done. you got to put that MVP, minimum viable product, out into the marketplace, learn, adapt, and then go on. So when we talk about failure, is it really failure? Like if I learned something, it isn't really failure. You look at Thomas Edison, he did 10,000 experiments to be able to create the light bulb and 9,999 were those failures. No, I just learned what to do differently. That's how science and scientific method works. I have an hypothesis, yes or no. Then we, we learn, we move on. Life is always trial and error in that way. But if you learn something, that's the important thing. Then, then in that failure is a learning. And that learning can be very valuable in many ways. And that's what people miss. And then you just have to fail, fail forward, fail often, forgive yourself. No, you're human. You're not perfect. But again, it's like a practice. Whenever I do music, people say, I'm practicing piano. I'm practicing singing. Do they say, I'm done now. I've learned all I can do and it's over. No. When I do yoga, it's a practice. Life is a practice. Life is a trial and error constantly. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people just go, they're probably listening to us going, okay, they're lunatics, but it's true. (laughs) It it is a practice. We don't know where we're going from here. We probably don't even remember much of what we did last week. Every moment is new and I'm here to tell you, if your mindset sucks, what are you doing? You better start working on yourself. Definitely. And I think, you know, with that that theory of perseverance that we talked about, you know, you look at Thomas Edison, 10,000 experiments. How many people would have given up at experiment five? Who would make it to 10,000? Who would say this is... I'm going to keep going. That's that's true perseverance. And you have to remember that there were other inventors doing it too. 
he really believed in what he was doing. It probably never occurred to him that he could not do this at some point. He was just going to keep going until he got what he wanted. Exactly. I mean, anything that we revere or admire that has changed us, technology, whether it's Steve Jobs or uh, Sarah Blinkley or whoever, it's like someone has to decide to be that person and to attempt the impossible. And then now the impossible becomes possible. But if nobody attempts it, it's never possible. That's why I tell people all the time, whether you do a little or you do a lot, it doesn't matter. The point is that doing it at all is better than not doing it. Not doing it, you have zero chance of anything happening. At least trying to do it, you have a possibility, even if very small, of something good happening out of it. So I think it's always better to try and to do than to not. It, it is. And I'll have people, you know, because we're talking about podcasting, you're a podcaster, I am as well. It is a huge passion of mine. And I'm getting a lot of people saying, Denise, I don't know where to start. How do I do this? Just start. Seriously. Don't get wrapped up in the, oh, I have to have this equipment and oh, I have to have... For starters, stop listening to people who have, in in your words, have not done it before. I listen, I belong to a couple of Facebook groups in Facebook, and I'm telling you right now, I will never need a facelift because I go in there and I read some of the garbage that is, you know, being passed around as advice. And none of these people are podcasters or, you know, they're maybe 10 minutes old, but they're giving just lengthy responses to my eyebrows hit my hairline. I look like I got a facelift. I'm permanently surprised. (laughs) Okay. You have got less than 10 episodes out. Sit down and watch and listen, but most of all, just shut up, learn before you speak. No, I definitely agree. And you have to be okay with not being good at something in the beginning. Oh, you're not going to be. I mean, I just, oh God, how did I keep on going? But I did. Oh yeah. Cause you find, you find yourself and you find your voice and you find your audience. And that takes, that takes time. And that's why, you know, whether you're trying to lose weight or trying to learn an instrument, it always starts with fundamentals. It's always has, you know, some some boring tasks associated with it and it gets and it gets better as it goes some people really have a natural affinity and it takes off quickly but most of us it's it's not going to be great you know but you don't have to be great to start but you have to start to eventually be great that's the thing think about the you know oh it's an overnight success 20 years later you don't know what went on in those 20 years. But you know what bothers me? This is a phrase that I I really have trouble with. And it's, you'll hear this all the time. Well, I can't, I can't do that. I just, my stomach just clenches up. It's like, I won't even use that word if I can avoid it. I will use the word won't. I'll substitute won't for can't. For instance, I don't swim. You know why? Because I don't know how, but I never say I can't swim. I'll just say, well, I won't. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that at any time in life you couldn't take lessons and learn. I mean, the, the power is always there. I think you're right. If people say I can, then they're right. If people say I can't, then they're also right because you have what you think, you know, and that's the thing we've learned now versus the conscious mind and subconscious mind that the mind does not distinguish reality from fiction. That's why when you watch a scary movie, you have all the body responses of someone actually chasing you 
even though you're only watching something you know in your mind isn't real. Your mind doesn't distinguish that. And so if you tell yourself you can't, whether that's true or not, your mind will believe it. We know that from the placebo effect versus the nocebo effect. If you believe it will help you, it will, even if it's a sugar pill. If you believe it'll hurt you, it will, even if it's a sugar pill. And that's fascinating to me that the mind is that powerful. Like, so even if you're working out and you think, oh, I'm going to work on biceps, it's my body. No, no, no. It's the mind. The mind tells the bicep to do the movements. And then from there, when you start focusing on the bicep, you naturally grow in that area because where we focus and what we think about is what we become. You're not getting an argument from me. I firmly believe in that mindset. And I also think that your mind is largely guided by your heart. And I don't mean the organ. I mean, how does your heart feel? How do you feel? How do you treat yourself? How do you treat everybody else? And that train translates up into your mind, how you, you work. And I know that didn't sound, it didn't make any sense to me even. I hope, you know, some people can understand where I'm going with it. It didn't sound like it made sense, but it made sense to me. No, it definitely makes sense to me. You know, for many years I've dealt with in in myself, uh, my own heart. And there's a few things. I think, first of all, like I had to do an exercise in a book where they were like list, you know, the people who are most important to you. And, you know, like my mom, my dad, my my siblings. And then you flip the page over and they're like, did you list yourself? Yeah. And (laughs) I was going to ask you, where were you? That's a nice list. Shouldn't have you been at the top? Yeah. But, you know, we're kind of programmed to like, don't think about myself. But then it's like, that doesn't work. It's like, you know, you're on an airplane. They're like, put your mask on first. Why? Because if you don't and you become incapacitated, you won't help anybody. And now you become a liability. So it's like, you kind of have to put yourself first. And when you think about that from a heart standpoint, it's, uh, there's a lot of brokenness in this world. And so, um, you know, maybe you had parents that told you you couldn't. And you have to now do the self-work to say that wasn't right. That wasn't true. And, and, you know, my parents did the best they could. Maybe that wasn't the best. But now I'm an adult and I can't carry the baggage of what mom and dad did. I'm I'm self-sufficient. I'm a self-person. I, I need to figure out a new path and tell myself new things. It's like all the time science is changing. As, as a kid, we had the food pyramid. They're like, this isn't actually... Right. That and then, stuff is garbage. Yeah. Throw that in the trash. <laughs> so it's like things change. You have to you have to constantly push back on on perceptions and, and old information. You know, a few years ago I stopped drinking because I realized it was no longer serving me. And I just one day said, No more. I'm not gonna drink alcohol anymore. And it, it's been great. And uh, and it gave me so much more clarity in in life. But you know, according to culture. You know, being a musician, people drink all the time. And so it was just a norm. And so only when I pulled out and said, yeah, it's affecting my health. I'm getting older. I really want to do that. Is this necessary for me? Again, asking those questions. And I said, mm, this isn't working. Not, not because I had a problem, but because I didn't want to become a problem. And I also just was like, eh, I don't need this. Like, this isn't serving me. Now, from the heart standpoint, nobody drinks just because. It's always for something. I have a social anxiety. I feel loneliness, whatever it is. You have to get to the heart matter first because you can't just stop drinking if that's the band-aid covering up the other thing. You got to figure out what the real root of the problem is and uproot it. And then 
that's the freeing part of the experience. You don't need the crutch when you fix the problem. And those problems typically are heart issues. They are. And as far as I can tell, and I'm doing a lot of deep diving and reading and listening to people like, you know, Greg Braden and, you know, a lot of other people, but the heart, not the organ, but our heart basically has one function and that's for love. And if we don't love ourselves, what the heck? And I constantly am asking myself, and I do this all the time, Denise, who's in charge here? Okay, let's sit down and let's think about this. Let's talk about this because I'll make silly decisions or I'll have to fire myself. And it's like, who's in charge? I am. I am in charge. So now what do I do? Yeah, which is very empowering. You're the captain of your own ship and the master of your own fate. But yeah, no, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think, excuse me, when you think about the work of Brene Brown, you talk about vulnerability and the the gift of perfection. I think sometimes those heart issues can definitely be painful and and hard to to go through. But you think about going to a doctor and you're like, you know, if you let something fester and it becomes infectious, you know, it's painful. But then, you know, when they cut it out and it heals, it's so much better. Like I had a friend whatever it is address it move on exactly i had a friend whose mom didn't want to go to the hospital and she had uh, a hip that was out of the socket for probably nine months oh my god terrible yeah she was in terrible pain and finally they walk i mean if it's out of your socket can you even stand up she eventually was basically in a a, a wheelchair she had very little mobility and uh and immediately, once, you know, they were able to do surgery, reset it, however it was, as painful as that was, it was still less painful than having it out of socket. I I'm, I just grabbed my right hip. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know why I did that. I just realized my hand is on my right hip and I'm going, ow. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, that's, terrible. that's a terrible story. I know. But the thing is, is that, you know, why Why be in pain nine months? If she went earlier, she could have had it fixed and been over it by now. And so I think no matter where you are, whether you started early or you didn't start at all, there's still time, but you need to start, whatever that is. The task, working on yourself, self-love, priorities, whatever it is, just start. But starting is definitely the hardest part. And then just remembering through that perseverance, finishing. You want to finish well, you want to finish strong, and you want to finish. Like if I started the book, as I did four books before, and I got one chapter done and it was done, then uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation, essentially. It's like you have to, to finish. Um, You know, you have to put that album out. You have to put that podcast episode out. And so I think that's, that's the bookends of it. Starting is very hard. Never too late. Start. Today is the day. And then from there, persevere and then finish. Everything has a beginning, middle, end. Right, but you have to have a goal. You have to be able to see that goal, whether it's a vision board or whether it's, for some people, it's tattoos. I saw somebody the other day, and I said, what does that tattoo mean? And she said, well, it's it's a goal. I'm going to do this. I said, huh, she can't avoid it. It's right there on her wrist. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think internally we have tattoos. We have have the tattoos of what we didn't do it, for sure. 
You know, it bugs me, not what I do, what I didn't do. And you were talking earlier about, you know, the what the brain knows, what the subconscious knows. I do this all the time, and maybe you do as well. There's always going to be something at the end of the day when I'm finally able to say, oh, I think I'm going to sleep now, because sleeping is not one of my higher skills. It never has been. I've just even when I was a child, my mom would find me in in the closet tying my father's shoes together. Apparently, I didn't like him very much. <laughs> and we would hear him yelling, that damn, I honestly, I thought my name was damn Denise for the longest kind of time. But <laughs> it's true. I thought Denise was my middle name. But, you know, you just, and I lost my train of thought. Um, where was I going, Cliff? What was I going? You weren't, you weren't able to sleep. You never ever I, yeah, I, I'm not really much of a sleeper. I don't require a lot of sleep. And I actually enjoy being awake and thinking I have a squirrel brain. And when I can finally feel that, oh, I'm going to go to sleep now, I get all excited. And I will stop what I'm thinking, what I'm, you know, if, if I was reading something, which I often read myself to sleep, I will close my eyes. I will look, well, actually I'm lying. I will open my eyes and I will look up at the ceiling to my ceiling fan, which is where I think spirits live or ghosts. I'm not sure what's up there, but there's something up there. And I will speak out loud because I'm speaking to the universe. And I will say, this is something that I need an answer for or a resolution, or I just have a, you know, a quick question. Can you give me the answer? And I ask it out loud. I'm not kidding. 318, Cliff, it doesn't matter if I went to sleep at 118. At 318, I'm wide awake. And there's the answer. Because my subconscious knew what I was looking for. I just had to ask. Oh, yeah. There's much literature on that, that your mind is constantly working in the in the background. And so you should definitely ask those questions out loud and, and, and journal. And, and when you wake up, write things down. Because, you know, coming out of those dream states, it's a different brainwave pattern. And then also, uh, it is important to rest. I'm learning that now. That's when the body repairs itself. So for all of those who don't sleep well, proper sleep, it definitely helps with with cortisol levels and stress on your body and, and, rep, and repair and restorative things for your body. So it's something that we have to just work on like anything else. I, I'm a cat napper. Well, I'm lying. They sleep 18 hours. I don't. I sleep like a baby babies wake up every two hours that would be me yeah i'm awake and i'm moving then i go back to sleep i'm up and down all the time but it so far it hasn't hurt me has harmed me but as i get older i'm sure i'll be going yeah you might want to try to get to sleep (laughs) let's see what's going on here cliff before i let you go what can you share a story of a time when you faced a really difficult decision and how you navigated it i'm sure you've got several but what popped into your mind as i asked that well, in the book, I talk about when I moved my career to Los Angeles at 20, just finishing conservatory, I tried out for American Idol and uh, and I went through a couple rounds and then I was eventually cut. And what I had to change was a huge paradigm shift for me is that I really realized in you know, thinking at that time, my life was over, that my dream was there was no way to make it happen. I pivoted pretty quickly, realizing, uh, one, I never wanted to win reality television. I just wanted to put my music out there. So there is a difference. And then from there, that was one avenue, but not the only avenue. And so I've had this wonderful life of doing so many different things. And if I had said, oh, well, that didn't work out, it's over, and let me cash in my chips and do something else, 
then we wouldn't be having this conversation 20 years later. You look at someone like Jennifer Hudson. Jennifer Hudson was on American Idol. She got cut before the end and didn't win. And now she's an ECOT, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. So nobody can write your epitaph. Yeah, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I'll be darned. Well, it's mindset. We keep going back to mindset. You know, do you, you know, go for that 10,000 tries or do you just say, ah, it didn't work. I'm going to go do something different. You know, it's mindset. It's how you treat yourself. Exactly. I mean, you look at someone like Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was cut or not allowed to be on his junior varsity basketball team. If he didn't try anymore after that, we never would have talked about Michael Jordan. Never talked about Air Jordans and that billion-dollar shoe and, you know, inspiring so many people to dream big. But you think about his stats. He missed more shots than he took, but you got to take them. And he was out there every day practicing, even though he was one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. That's how they all are. Their work ethic is what makes them different. Nobody has to be the smartest in the room, but they will not be out-hustled. And if I'm not mistaken, they also use visualization techniques. They visualize themselves taking that that muscle memory and doing it all the time. I think Tiger Woods was famous for that. If he wasn't physically doing it, he was doing it mentally in his head. Definitely. Even with like practicing piano, if you're not in front of a piano, but you imagine it in your mind, you'll still get 70% of the benefit because your mind is that powerful seeing it. Einstein had thought experiments. He would run in his mind the experiment before he ran it. And it was very beneficial to him. I am fascinated by him. I always have been. I mean, how can you not be fascinated by a man that just, he didn't know when to stop. He didn't want to stop. Everything was fascinating to him. Everything was important to him. And if it wasn't, he moved on and did the the really important stuff. I mean, he really is somebody that we should all look up to. Mm-hmm. But you look at him, he failed. He couldn't yeah. pass his high school equivalency exam. Yeah, it teaches you everything you need to know about government schools. Exactly. <laughs> don't even ask. <laughs> Let's not go down that road. <laughs> well, but see, it, it doesn't prove how smart you are, though. That's the thing. Um, it doesn't. Keep going. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, it's okay. You go. I was just saying that it was, again, another story of perseverance. If he had taken that exam and said, well, I'm just no good, we would never have been talking about Einstein. So I think you just have to say, you know what? I'll just keep trying. And exactly. I, maybe that's how I think. Something else. Yep. That's exactly right. Cliff, it has been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience before I reluctantly let you go? Uh, no. I mean, I'd love to hear stories that people are hustling or doing anything. People can always email me, cliff at scihustleandflow.net. Um, I think, again, our stories are impactful up to the point where it intersects with someone else's story and inspires them to be the thing. You know, I think Tupac, who was an amazing rapper, said, uh, you know, I don't really care as much about what I do. I care about, you know, inspiring that next person who changes the world. And that's, that's ultimately what I want to do and leave a legacy of, of, of planting trees that I may never sit under, but that helps the next uh, generation. So I think if, you know, Zig Ziglar was right. If you, if you help enough people get what they want, then you can get 
what you want. So as much as I talk about my story and me, it's really more about we and the unity and community and, and how I can help other people uh, achieve those dreams on a small or, or, or big scale. It's not about necessarily to have clients or make money. It's just that I really enjoy um, the satisfaction of helping people get unstuck. And uh, and like I said, I think side hustle and flow is one way to do it. And then just remembering that that flow part is super important. So as I study Qigong and Tai Chi and yoga and other stuff like that, the breathing through life is important. You know, when you're in pain, you breathe through it and the flow, just focusing on your breath, like deep breathing, that stuff is very important. I've been talking a lot recently on this podcast about breathing. It's something I think that's in a lot of people's minds right now. And you, you spoke of Zig Ziglar when I mentioned my friend Ben Gay, who, you know, he worked with or Napoleon Hill worked with him. He was also very good friends with Zig Ziglar and hired Zig Ziglar sometimes. So, you know, you get to know the darndest stories just by listening and reading. It's terrific. Um, and you mentioned very quickly where people can connect you with you, but where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at cliffbeachmusic.com or sidehustleandflow.net. They can find the book, Side Hustle and Flow, on Amazon, Audible, Kindle, or blackspringpressgroup.com. And all my social medias are at cliffbeachmusic. Perfect. Well, listen, before we wrap up today's episode, if you have enjoyed today's chat and found our insights helpful, please leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. Your feedback helps me improve and reach more people on their own success journeys because I get to meet people like Cliff. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button, leave a review, and share your partner in Success Radio with your friends and your colleagues. And thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next one. Cliff, again, it has been a pleasure, and I thank you. The pleasure is all mine, Denise. Take care, and all the best to you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.